February 22nd, Monday, Monday morning, I got a call from one of our regulars from the bar that lives adjacent to the bar and literally just called me and was like, Kevin, your bar is on fire. And I remember I got woken up because we live two blocks away. I got woken up around one o'clock in the morning from fire engines. And I was like, my wife and I woke up and I was like, oh man, I hope the bar is not on fire. I mean, that's usually my natural reaction when I hear something. And we always kind of laugh at it. We're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> would never be on fire. Went back to sleep. And then I just got woken up around 3 a.m. from our regular. And it was like, it's on fire. And I, was, I ran down the block, two to two blocks down. The streets were blocked off. And you just walked up to the building. And the building was just engulfed in smoke. From StudioPod Media, this is the Muddler Podcast. The Muddler exists to tell stories behind your favorite cocktail bars. Cocktail bars become beloved by their patrons for many different reasons. Everything from the vibe, friendly service, convenient location, great music, and of course, the delicious, well-crafted cocktails. But each bar has its own unique story, why it exists and how it came to be, as well as the cocktails made and who actually serves them. I'm TJ Bonaventura, and I'm the host of The Muddler. On each episode, we'll sit down with the owners and bar managers behind some of the most innovative and forward-thinking bars around. Each season will center around cocktail bars in a specific city. Up first, San Francisco. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. So Golden Rule Spirits is a producer of two canned cocktails, the Old Fashioned and the Margarita. I know what you're thinking, canned cocktails. Not really my thing, but I'm telling you guys, if you like a good crafted cocktail, you're going to love these drinks. They're perfect for going to the golf course, for bringing them on the road, vacation, camping, and they are dangerously good. They're about the quarter size of a normal can. You pop these bad boys open, you throw them over ice, and you're good to go. So again, Golden Rule Spirits, goldenrulespirits.com, at Golden Rule Spirits on IG. Check them out. Pacific Cocktail Haven, or PCH for short, is by no means an old-time San Francisco bar. Having opened in the summer of 2016, PCH is relatively new to the SF bar scene. And yet in just five years, its star has shown quite brightly in the city and beyond. Taking over the old cantina space at Sutter and Mason in Union Square, PCH quickly built a name for itself as a beacon of creativity and ingenuity amongst San Francisco's many craft cocktail establishments. As the name suggests, The bar is primarily inspired by Western, Pacific, and Asian Pacific influences, but don't be fooled into thinking that PCH is a tiki bar. While they do provide takes on tiki drinks, they serve twists on all the classics as well. And this sort of creative spirit has brought the bar incredible renown in such a short period of time. In fact, less than a year ago, in September of 2020, Pacific Cocktail Haven won the distinction of Best American Cocktail Bar at the 14th Annual Spirited Awards. PCH has become a San Francisco gem and is now being recognized nationally and beyond. We had the honor of sitting down with PCH's part owner and full-time operator, Kevin Dietrich, who also happened to win the honor of American Bartender of the Year at the very same Spirited Awards. Kevin has a fascinating background. Following a previous career in IT and tech, he made the switch to nightlife-based work and enrolled in a $300 bartending program. From there, he was able to work at established properties such as the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C., and many of Michael Mina's restaurants here in SF. After working his way up to bar management at well-known SF cocktail bars such as Bourbon and Branch in the Burrett Room, Kevin was able to open up his first bar as owner, PCH. We talked with Kevin about all things PCH. 
how the magic happens, and how he was able to do this as his very first business. Due to circumstances that we'll go into in the episode, we taped this interview at Kevin's new bar, Kona Street Market, at 3rd and Market in the Financial District. We were also lucky enough to be joined by Kevin's dog, Kona, who inspired the bar's name. We pick up our conversation with Kevin as he talks about the genesis of PCH. At this point, he had opened up the doors at the prior cantina space and had started service but he had not quite nailed the unique concept for his new bar or had come up with a name yet. It was in that progression that we were trying to think of a name. We went through a couple of iterations. Like I wanted to call it almost like uh, the cocktail project. My inspiration, my cocktails, and a lot of things that I've, I've done and something I wanted to do was to push Asian Pacific ingredients forward, especially when being located here in, in San Francisco, we have a huge population of Asians and, and Filipinos to be specific. And I wanted to highlight these these flavors in a contemporary way that I grew up making cocktails. Very classically driven, but with a contemporary twist on it, but also trying to introduce these tropical and Asian flavors without being a tiki bar, without being a Japanese bar, anything. I wanted to be something completely different. That's what I was going to say. If you, if you want to have those ingredients going forward, that's usually the route you go. Like you're going to be kind of in that tiki realm, if you will. So what was your thinking? Like, how do you make a twist there? Like, how do you switch it up? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, that, this where Pacific was, I was like, we're on the Pacific. And then we had to figure out other words in there. And we went through, like I said, cocktail project and house. And then we ended up on Haven because it was, it felt like a safe word. I think a lot of, of, of things we went through when you think about cocktail names, you think about restaurants and bars, it's not trying to be too glitchy, but you want it to have a positive vibe and you want it to feel safe. And Haven was a safe word for, in terms of like coming to a bar and feeling safe. And we'd also kind of went through and it was like, it's called, and abbreviations are PCH. And I was like, and I think my partners are like, would people confuse it for the highway and, and the bar? And I came to the realization, I was like, well, both are kind of positive things. And I was like, if someone remembers up because of the highway, then I think that's a good takeaway. So I was like, people will call us the Pacific Coast Highway Bar or whatever. And I was like, just as long as people show up and they remember that it's PCH and there's a bar, they're going to find us no matter what the next time. But either way, you're still thinking of a positive thing of being on the PCH and having good vibes out there and driving with the top down and having the air blow on you in San Francisco. Maybe the sun's out in San Francisco. You never know. But on a good day, it would be a positive thing, which is kind of what we wanted to go for the name. After hearing about the concept behind PCH and the naming of the bar, we wanted to dive into the location a bit. Kevin's idea for the business were very humble and grounded. In his mind, he was going to deliver an Asian Pacific inspired and creative minded cocktail bar, but one that was neighborhoody in feel and had a strong emphasis on customer service. If you pull the average SF resident though, I think you'd struggle to find one that would choose the Union Square area as this type of place. Union Square is many things, but it doesn't quite have that homey neighborhoody feel to it. This was great for PCH as it set them up as a destination bar. But did Kevin and the team have any second thoughts about initially opening up there? You guys are near Union Square. Like, I guess you could just say you're right in Union Square, which is a very touristy area of San Francisco. Did you ever, did you have any trepidation or when you opened the bar originally about that location, given it's not like a neighborhoody bar and being that you're going to have a lot of different people coming in all the time because you're in that destination? Not too much. I mean, I think one of the... The things that gravitated to that location is is because it's kind of this hybrid neighborhood between Union Square and Knob Hill and what people like to call it Tender Knob, which I really don't like calling it the Tender Knob, but it's a lot of people like to still say it. So it's kind of like this in-between because there's definitely like we are on Sutter, we're on Sutter between Mason and Powell, but we're closer to the Mason side. 
So we're maybe a a block and a half, two blocks off the actual square, off of like all the dining and and off of like all the the shops, but just enough tucked into the neighborhoods where there's a ton of neighborhoods, apartment complexes on Mason Street. And then you just get up the bush and there's all residential on bush. I think it was successful because it was almost in the neighborhood, but also because we get such a transient guest from the hotels. I always toted us as a neighborhood, just your neighborhood cocktail bar. And that was the original goal was just to be this cocktail bar for the neighborhood. And we'll get people from the hotels. And then as we got bigger and more accolades and more attention, we turned into a destination bar and then turned into what we are now, which is with all the accolades, we're more than a destination bar. But we still have that neighborhood vibe, which has always been the number one thing for us was was it wasn't about the cocktails. It wasn't about the stuff inside the glass. It was about the people that were coming through and the people working. And we never lost sight of that in terms of the team and everything where it's just like we wanted to be friendly. So as soon as people come into the bar, we're saying hi, we're giving them menus and uh, the conversations that we have. So it's it's relationships. We always say this, is, this isn't about transactions. The transactions that we want to have is the transaction of of conversation and relationships. And that's how we've gotten to where we are at this point is not just about the the cocktails and the spirits. That gets people in the door, but what people's gets back is the experience and the ambiance and, and the people. That kind of helped in the neighborhood. And then we got so many regulars from the hotels too that would travel. So the, there'd be like flight attendants that and pilots that would only come in every so often. And then people that would only travel to San Francisco for business once or twice a year. And they stay in the same hotel right by the, right by the bar. And every time they're in town, they're, they're at our bar. So I mean, that's kind of just a testament of what that team is, has built over there. Yet another factor that played a role into building up PCH's status as a destination bar and creating some mystique around the place itself is how seriously they take the holidays. Every year around the holidays, the bar transforms into arguably the most Christmas-centric place in all of San Francisco. They don't mess around when it comes time to deck the halls. They go all out. In fact, this is how I initially learned about PCH, as my first visit to the bar was during the holiday season. I thought it was such a unique experience and one that highlights what kind of community the bar creates. So I wanted to take some time to chat with Kevin about it. So I guess for those who have never been, let's just jump right in and talk about what Miracle is so they have an idea because I won't do it justice talking (laughs) when you walk in because when you walk in there for the first time during Miracle, you're just like, holy shit, this is this place has completely transformed. Yeah, yeah. So I mean... The little backstory of what Miracle is, Miracle is a franchise uh, started from uh, one of my good friends named Greg Boehm, who actually has a cocktail bar supply company, company called Cocktail Kingdom. If you're in the bar world, you've probably bought something from his website. He also sells a lot of vintage books. But he started this thing called Miracle maybe now like six, seven, maybe eight years ago. And it was so wildly well successful that he started franchising and selling it to people. So he approached me back five years ago when I opened PCH and was like, hey, would you think about doing a miracle here in San Francisco? He usually goes to the major markets first and one person that signs up for the miracle has the franchise for that city. So I, I personally, PCH owns the franchise for San Francisco, so no one else could do it. What miracle is, is, I mean, it's the most amazing thing in the world. If you like the holidays, if you don't like Christmas, it's probably something you never want to step into because it is definitely almost one of those things where 
you go to like Disney World and you hear like the Welcome to the World song over and over and over and over and it like drives you absolutely nuts. And you're like, I could, I don't think I could ride this ride or I feel bad for the people operating it. They just hear that song over and over. But that's kind of what Miracle is, is that you come in and there's like Christmas music blasting. We do a really good job of the decorations because the way PCH is, it's, it's a little less than a thousand square feet. So it's a cozy space. And we would, my, my goal was to make Christmas look like a threw up inside. That was like my number one goal was like, it needs to look like excessive. And I was like, and that's the only, that's how I think of Christmas as like something over the top. Like it's not like these subtleties and like maybe there's a little wrapping paper here and there's like a nutcracker. Like I was like, no, we want, I want fucking floor to ceiling wrapping paper. I want the like extravaganza of balloons and tinsel and Christmas lights. And I always told people, I was like, just when you thought you had enough Christmas lights, I was like, you, you go out and buy more. If when you think you have enough Christmas decorations, you have to go out and buy more. It has to be the excessive amount. But we've we've been doing it. That was our fifth year doing it last year. So you kind of you kind of collect Christmas decorations. So every year you can reuse the last ones, but then you you add more. And two years ago, I added the snow machine, which was like the best 150 bucks I've ever bought in my entire life because that was like the biggest game changer outside of like all. The Christmas trees, like the the 12 Christmas trees I have in there, the palm trees that are Christmas, the twerking Santas, the picture of John McClane I have in the, the vent shaft of PCH. The snow machine was probably like that most epic thing because people just d- died. Like you turn on when people walk in and people like girls and guys, it doesn't even matter who you are. They're just like, oh my God, it's fucking snowing. And they're like doing twirls and then they get on their phone. They're like TikToking and stuff. And there were like normal people in the bar trying to drink and hold drinks. And these people are like with their phones doing like circles around the bar with it snowing. So that was probably the best thing. The next year I bought a second one for outdoors so you could have it. People in the line could have it and then people inside could get it. But again, it's like talking about it and the pictures really don't do justice. It's like the Griswold's like house outdoor, but inside. Like yeah. times ten, <laughs> it's exactly, exactly how I would think about it. It's a, it's a, it's such an experience, and then you guys also change and, the menu too, right? Yeah, so we do. It's usually about 14, 14 holiday based cocktails named like some of them are like uh, you shoot your rye out or uh, Santa pants, um, snowball fashion, things like that. Like uh, I think there was one called Fa la 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 la, la and we used to have guests have to say the whole thing. Like they're like, we'll take the fall la and they're like, oh, which one? And they're like the fall la la and they're like the fall la 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 la. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, oh my god, I can't believe I you just so made much. me say the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I hate you. But it was, it's fun. I mean, it's it's the one time out of the year that we kind of can take the PCH cocktails off the menu, which are delicious and high maintenance and labor intensive for us, and do something kind of fun. So we always have to we have to actually bring on more staff. So we hired some temporary staff because it requires so much manpower like it's you think just in a number wise on a busy day at pch a busy night we're doing maybe ten eleven thousand dollars maybe maybe eleven one night of miracle you're doing twenty thousand dollars and we're open from three to three to two so we kind of split the chefs in in half but it's it's literally like the most lucrative thing that we do the whole year so it's like why not keep doing it every single year and the bartenders make a killing our first year that we did it i didn't know how 
I was kind of a little pessimistic about how well it was going to be. Like, I was like, a holiday bar? Who's going to go to the holiday bar? Who's going to go to the Christmas bar? And like the second week we got into it, the line was all the way around, all the way up Mason Street. The bar was a jam-packed. We were all working 14 to 16-hour days behind the bar. The bartenders are all making $1,000 a night because it's just the volume. Typically, like a bar or restaurant, you go in and it's like busy and then it gets slower and then it's busy and then it's slower. This is just like someone stepped on the gas for nine hours because it's just nonstop. But it's fun because you're not being serious. You get to hear Mariah Carey over and over and over and over and over. And you're like Mariah Carey on loop. It plays so often that you think it's on repeat. We always have to remind ourselves that every time it plays, it's someone's first time hearing it, even though it's our 20th time hearing it. But we always have to get into it and be like, yeah, they're like, oh, I love Mariah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I love it too. So at this point in the conversation, Kona, Kevin's dog, jumped into our booth and rummaged all around our audio equipment, so we had to take a little pause to reset things. But it was also at a meaningful point in the conversation. After handling almost a full year of the pandemic and the tough business factors it provided, to-go cocktails, limited capacity, stops and restarts mandated by the government, etc., Kevin and the team were ready to reopen in February of 2021 and were looking forward to some positive momentum. We have for two days and February 22nd, Monday, Monday morning, I got a call from one of our regulars from the bar that lives adjacent to the bar and literally just called me and was like, Kevin, your bar is on fire. And I remember I got woken up because we live two blocks away. I got woken up around one o'clock in the morning from fire engines. And I was like, my wife and I woke up and I was like, oh man, I hope the bar is not on fire. I mean, that's usually my natural reaction when I hear something and we always kind of laugh at it. We're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> would never be on fire. Went back to sleep and then I was, got woken up around 3 a.m. from our regular and it was like, it's on fire. And I, was, I ran down the block, two blocks down, the streets were blocked off and you just walked up to the building and the building was just engulfed in smoke. And it was just like the most gut-wrenching thing to see at three o'clock in the morning, I was like, this is absolutely like a dream, absolute dream. Like all the windows were busted out. I mean, there's the UPS building hogwashing us and got there and the firefighters are all like yelling and screaming and they're trying to find out how to turn the electricity off because they're trying to put the fire out. So they're filling the whole basement up with water and they couldn't figure out how to turn the power off that they were, when they went downstairs, they all got electrocuted because the power wasn't off. So they finally got the power off we got down there and I looked in there was about four feet of water just in the basement alone because pipes had burst. They had cut about four holes into our floor just to, to start putting water downstairs because I couldn't find the fire. It was like, it's a bit of a maze to get down to the basement of our, our basement. And they said it took, them, it took them about an hour and a half, two hours to actually find the fire. And once they found it, it didn't take them too long to put it out, but it was the length of them finding it that was what did so much damage. It took them... They said it got to about 2,000 degrees downstairs. And surprisingly, something that burns really nicely is Christmas decorations because they were all downstairs. <laughs> and they're like, what was down here? And I'm like, Christmas decorations. And they're like, like what? And I'm like, well, there's like Santa, like the skeleton of Santa. And there's some reindeers, a snowman, and some Christmas trees. And they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, that looks, you can, you can see like the wireframes. That was February 22nd. Uh, and then we opened my second bar where we're at right now, a Kona Street Market, named after Kona, on February 25th. And that was probably one of the, the most weirdest weeks of my life, as anyone can experience as an operator, as an owner, as a bartender. It's definitely a very unique and unique week for me. 
And did they figure out the like what was the the reason for the fire or like what started it? Yeah, it was just electrical. It was a really old building. The building was was really really old. I mean, there was no fire detection at all. Like there was just there was no fire extinguishers or sprinklers. There was no smoke alarms. Nothing in that whole building. So all it took was there was a failure on the the power grid that goes in there, which caused an arc in our basement which caused the fire. But since there was no early detection, you wouldn't know anything that was going on there until the fire got out of control and someone someone called the fire department. But yeah, that was that was that that was February and now it's almost it's almost six months yeah, of the day. Six, six months, months of, of the day. day. Yeah. So what's what's the plan moving forward? Like how is it coming along with I'm assuming you've had to do almost start from scratch to to get it back to a spot where you guys want? What is there is there a tentative open date? Yeah, I mean, we everything in 580 in the business was 100% loss. We lost literally everything. So we're talking about liquor that I've collected from my entire career of traveling as a bartender and travel for events, the liquor collection that I'd cellared from buying for about six years too. So a lot of really awesome spirits and hard to find stuff, all our bar tools, all our glassware, literally everything. I chalked it up with an insurance claim to about a loss of $430,000. And they wrote us a check for $230,000, which is just, uh, insurance is a bit of a scam. So with that, we're, we're doing our best to, to rebuild. Uh, we're going to end up actually moving PCH because the 580 building was so decimated. It's going to take them. The last time I talked to them, which was about two months ago, the contractor for the owner of the building said it was going to take about I was like, realistically, what are you thinking? Like a year? And he laughed at me. <laughs> and I was like, 18 months? And he was like, maybe 18 months. He was like, I would say more like two years. And they haven't started anything over there at this point, which is why I decided it'd be, I could probably build a new bar quicker than them rebuilding the 580 space. So we're currently in the process of moving PCH and rebuilding it somewhere else in the same vicinity. But until I... Until that all gets inked and done, I probably won't announce where it is going officially, but it will be back. We're going to come back. We're, you know, we've had so much great support and great feedback and everyone's been across the world has been so nice to us and, and helping out and supporting that we all wanted to come back. It's something that we want. And I think it's something that, that San Francisco wants as well and our guests need. So we're definitely coming back at some capacity. Not really sure if it's going to be by the end of the year or vice versa. But if I could build it right now, I'd be not on this podcast. I'd be literally in the digging and building something. As of the recording of this podcast, Kevin was not ready to provide more details about the return of PCH, but we are happy to share that there have been some promising developments since we met with him. PCH is indeed returning, and though not in the original location, it's not far off at all. The new location is going to be at 550 Sutter Street, just a few doors down from the bar's original location at 580 Sutter Street. All right, we're going to take a quick little sidebar here. I'm with Joey, our writer of The Muddler, and we're talking about Golden Rule Spirits. Joey, would you call yourself a cocktail connoisseur? Aspiring cocktail connoisseur. Love a good cocktail. Drink them often. Wouldn't say I'm at connoisseur level. But do you like to make them at home? Love to make cocktails at home. Again, wouldn't call myself a mixologist by any means, but enjoy crafting a good cocktail. It takes a lot of work to make a good cocktail. It does. And we work you hard over here at The Muddler. It's true. And sometimes, if you're like me, you don't really want to go through the effort of making a cocktail. Maybe you don't have the right ingredients. Maybe you don't have fresh fruit, fresh citrus, good peel, 
a good, a good, a good peel. A good, a good peel's a important. Good, a good uh, as vehicle for zest. <laughs> Salted rims. One way to avoid these these troublesome issues when you don't have a salted rim or some zest or a vehicle of zest, you can rely on Golden Rule Spirits. Golden Rule Spirits is the sponsor of the Muddler, and they make a delicious cocktail that you can crack open at home when you don't have the time, when you're working your ass off, maybe writing a podcast about cocktails and you get a little ambitious. So if you want to learn more about them and how you can make them at home, it's actually quite easy. You don't need to make them at home. You just crack it open, pour it over ice, maybe put in a little lime if you want the margarita. So if you want to learn more, goldenrulespirits.com at goldenrulespirits on Instagram. We took a quick break in the interview for Kevin to whip us up some cocktails and he really delivered them in style. He poured us three full cocktails that are staples on the PCH menu. The Thrill in Manila, the Jean-Claude Pondon, and the Leeward Negroni. Here, Kevin shares some insight into the creation of the Thrill in Manila. The first one here is one of our drinks called the Thrilla in Manila. So it's got a little calamansi. So it's a little note to, uh, nod to the, the Fili- my Filipino roots and the culture with calamansi. So you've got a little calamansi in there, pineapple, coconut cream, bourbon, a uh, little bit of shiso shaken in there, absinthe, and then garnished with a li- little lihimoy, which is salty sour plum if you're not familiar with it. My wife, Ethnodiki, is Japanese Hawaiian, so I get a lot of inspiration from the islands from her. And I'm Filipino, so I kind of engulf with these these two cultures and a lot of the cocktails that are inspired. I love this drink because it's got it rides this really cool line of being like savory but also refreshing and creamy, all due to that salty the lihimoy that's on top. So that's the first thing you kind of get on your lips. The creaminess is the first thing that that yeah. just gets you slapped in the face with. I love it's it. It's creamy, salty, and then the shiso brings that little bit of vibrancy and savory, and then you've got bourbon just a little bit of absinthe, which isn't overwhelming. Like you're not going to get a ton of it, but it kind of helps helps the flavors of pineapple and anise and coconut and anise are, are awesome pairings together. But it's just like this over cobbled ice is it's gorgeous. And it's, I call it, I like to call these like patio pounders because you'd just be on the patio just like crushing these. So what's the initial, like how to get started? What's the roots of the Thrill of Manila? So uh, my wife and I got married on uh, Joost van Dyck. So if you're familiar with Joost van Dyck, it's beaten BVI. And the, the famous cocktail from BVI and Joost van Dyck is the painkiller. And it's made at the Soggy Dollar and BVI. If you don't know why it's called the Soggy Dollar, is because there's no, there's no uh, way to dock your boat. So you have to like, literally jump in the ocean, swim to Joost van Dyck. And in three, all your money gets wet and they, their bar is called the Soggy Dollar. So this is kind of like a riff off of the painkiller, but introducing Asian Pacific flavors into there. So you've got calamansi, which is a Filipino lime, very bright and acidic, very similar to kind of like a kumquat. It's supposed to be like limey and orangey, but it's got this really kind of chalky bracing acid to it. And then the introduction of lihimoy and shiso, which is a little bit from uh, my wife's heritage. And they all kind of combined. It was a lot of playing around with proportions and stuff, but that was kind of the inspiration of kind of have something similar to that just because it was more of a memory for my wife and I drinking way too many painkillers on that island because they either come in, there's two formats. You can have either have four ounces or you can have eight ounces. And I can tell you not many people drink the four ounce ones. A lot of people drink the eight ounce ones, including my brother, who I have a great picture of him just passed out on the beach, still in the ocean, literally like 
you know, in the movie, like a movie where he just like cast away, like, he's just laying there with his face down and water's just like going up and down him. And there's like a couple of empty glasses. There also is like a half bottle drunk of like Johnny Walker Black, which probably is also helped for that as yeah. well. But yeah. <laughs> Drink, I love, everyone drink responsibly. I love, I love, <laughs> I love, I like the end of a commercial. I love the glass that's in too. Very, very, it gives you very much like that island feel with it. Like how much does to you in your mind, like glassware matter? Very, very much. Uh, I mean, these are, again, these are Kona Street Market glassware. The glassware at PCH, I was, I, when I inventoried it for insurance, was about $45,000 worth of uh, glassware. Our glassware is, I'm very particular on glassware. I think there's a drink, it has to be so thoughtful that I want the drink and the garnish and the glassware to all be included into it. So you're not just, there's no all-purpose glass. It's one of the reasons why I don't like coupes. I don't believe, I never carried coupes at PCH and I don't carry them to this day because it's an all-purpose glass. And it's like, it's like an all-purpose wine glass. It's like white goes in here, white red, and everything goes in this, this glass. And it should be a thoughtful process of what goes into a glass. And we had so much glass. Like I would, on menu changes, I was synonymous where we would, if we changed, if the drink didn't look good in a glass, I would go find a vessel that hid what the, the what the cocktail looked like because we drink with our eyes. And also, if I saw someone using the same rocks glass in the city, I would get rid of those rocks glasses and go find a new rocks glass because I was like, we can. I only want to have glass so that we have unique and no one else can have it kind of, kind of thing. So I spent a lot on glassware in every menu chain. What is the second one we got here? Yeah, so the the next one, the clear one, is our, our milk punch that we had at, at PCH. We call it the, the Jean-Claude Pondon, little riff on uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. This drink has a uh, Pondon in it. Um, if you're not familiar with Pondon, it's a Southeast Asian leaf that gives off this kind of like buttery, nutty marzipan, buttery popcorn kind of flavor to it. And we love it over PCH. The the team and I joke around that we should name rename the bar to Pondon Cocktail Haven because we use we use Pondon almost three or four different drinks actually on the menu. But this is again, this is our clarified milk punch. So there's about four different types of rum in here, overproof bourbon, overproof cognac, absinthe, Batavia rack, cold brew, and then Pondon in there as well. So there's a it's essentially like a giant milk punch. And then through science, we've clarified it. The easier way to say it is just through science. And so it's our clarified milk punch with a lot of, lot of really cool layers, that great texture of the milk in there, little hints and nuances of the cold brew and the pond down in there. I was going to say that for two things that you mentioned. First, a clarification. Sounds like the clarification. I don't know how long clarification has been going on for. It feels like it's more of a, a recent thing. And between that and the cold brew, you, those are two things that I just feel like are, are very trendy right now, throwing that in there for reasons I don't know. What is the history there? Why do you see that like popping up more and more? For I mean, specifically, clarified milk punches have been around for centuries. It's not a new technique. It's been used very old cocktail technique. It's just broadened. It's been brought forth in the last, maybe, I want to say last five or six years that a lot more people are, are doing it. I don't blame it. I give credit to social media and outlets showing these recipes and showing how to do it. Like when I was coming up in the cocktail culture in 2007, there was no blogs, there was no podcasts, there was no reference, there was no, barely any cocktail books or any way. So it was all like word of mouth or if you knew someone that knew someone that knew someone how to do it, you would ask them if they're nice and they liked you, then they'd share the recipe. Here nowadays, there's published recipes all over the place and books referring to how to do this. It was giving people the roadmap to make these, which is why you see more and more milk punches out there. But it also, it's so shelf-stable 
that it once you make it, it'll last forever, like forever, forever. As long as you want it, you have enough to keep drinking. And it's great because there's so many things you can do within that milk punch. And the clarification process is, is takes about 48 hours, depending on, on how, you, how you're doing it. But you get that layers of texture, which is awesome. Textured in cocktails is amazing. And you can, put, you can customize it to exactly how you want to do it, which is why you see so many out there now. So what is your, your process of idea or conception to the menu? Like, like where do you, you talked about, you obviously have like a journal or a book or notes or something, but like obviously at PCH, you guys are rotating quite a bit. What goes into that process? I mean, it's a great question. It's finding inspiration and can be hard and can be difficult. For PCH, it's very much a team effort. So we rotate the menu. Everyone has contributions to the menu. So we usually give a focus on what's coming off the menu and what we'd like to see come on stylistically, what we're looking for. The menu at PCH is broken up into spirit categories. So you've got whiskey, which is a pretty big category in itself. So it takes two pages, agave, gin, rum, tequila, etc. So you kind of tell them what we're looking for in terms of spirit, what brand we're looking at, and then stylistic. Do you want a spirit forward? Do you want something citrusy? Do you want something kind of savory? Then we kind of go from there in terms of flavors that we want to use, flavors that we've never used before, and what we want to introduce it. It's it's a pretty long process. It takes almost four or five months of going back and forth with a lot of different iterations of syrups and then builds and what works, what doesn't work. But it's it's a I think I think the team has more fun than I do with it because I just some of me is it's just a, it's a painful process of going through and it's a lot of it's a lot of time but it's fun i mean it's that's how to, we change the menu and it's getting introducing new flavors because everyone again like what we talked about everyone's palate is completely different and people's experiences are different so seeing the getting to see this kind of translate and get, you get to know your team a little bit better and your guests a little bit better based off of off these flavors and experiences which is awesome so if somebody has an idea on the team that's like i, I, I want to run something by you kevin like I'm assuming you and your business partner have final say, but like how open are you? Do you guys give when it comes to constructive feedback or like, I mean, is there times where you just have to say, nah, this is never going to work? Or like, what if you try it with this or go back to the drawing board? Like how collaborative are you when it's somebody else's idea? I mean, it's, it's, everyone always is, is always pitching. So it's like, I usually have the the final say my, my two business partners don't operate. So they, the team will either pitch an idea or pitch a cocktail to me. And it's, it starts with a pitch first. Is usually, they'll be like, hey, I, I want to make a drink. I think one of our bartenders wanted to make a drink based off of a bonme, the bonme sandwich. And then the conversation starts there. And I'll be like, well, how do you want to translate these flavors? Like the bonme is so many different types of bonmes, different types of flavors in which in the bonme. Are you accentuating the pickles? Are you doing the carrots? Are you doing radish? Like, how do you plan on getting like the the texture of the bread on stuff. So we go through that that conversation of where we go from like caridou to V to 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 acids to different types of bitters to how do we get sour in there if you're trying to do vinegar and stuff. And then from there it's it's like you have either a caridou V, we try and do different iterations. So it'd be like how do we get carrot in here? So you're like maybe we do a base spirit infused with carrot. Maybe we do the carrot U to V. Maybe we do a carrot bitters, a carrot tincture. So we make all these different ingredients and then we try them in different iterations. So just, again, it's a, it's a long process. Like one of our bartenders wanted to do something with mushroom apple, but we wasn't sure what mushroom he wanted to use. And we went through, I kid you not, probably 10 different iterations of a mushroom mix where it went from like a mix of shiitake, 
some other like four other six ones, but the ratios were all different. And we went through like 10 versions of that. And that's how it is. It's just, we want everything. It has to be perfect and it has to fit the menu. So it's like the pitch comes and it's like, is it going to fit on the menu? Does it make sense to put on the menu? Is it too simple? I think what people expect from VCH is something familiar, but also something different. So we have to do something always in that style. If it's too easy, I always say if it's too easy, someone else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a good transition here to our third one here. So what's the third one? Okay, so the I forgot we had one more here. The last one is kind of the one of our mainstays, definitely one of our mainstays, and probably one of the most famous cocktails on the menu called the Leeward Negroni. So if you're familiar with Negronis, Spirit Ford, Gin Campari, you definitely have to be a Negroni drinker to kind of accustom to enjoy this cocktail. But this is our version of the Negroni with tropical Asian flavors and incorporated into it without hammering this with pineapple juice, coconut cream any of that sort. I was like, we should be able to do this in a way that you can get the tropical flavors, but not have citrus and sugar. I personally do not drink citrus for cocktails at all. I just, it's just something about me. That's interesting because if you look at like when you want to start a cocktail, everyone says start with a daiquiri or like you need like one part citrus, one part sweet, one part spirit. And so you're just like, that's, you just don't like the basic cocktails, I guess at that point. Yeah, I just, I'm there's something about citrus that drives me that either it makes me like congested and I don't enjoy it. So I typically drink more spirit forward things, which is why the Negroni kind of worked well with me in, in terms of designing this one because it was spirit forward. So it was easier for me to kind of wrap my head around. But it's essentially still holding true to, to Negroni form by being spirit forward. So we just take coconut oil and fat wash it with the Campari. So you get all that nice vibrant coconut flavor, but you get the nice velvety texture of the oil in there. And that's about a two-day process to fat wash it and infuse it. Then we make a pandan cordial in here out of that pandan we spoke about earlier into a cordial. So you're adding that kind of nutty, buttery marzipan tropical flavor with the coconut. And if you see pandan used, it's the, one of the traditional pairings you see is coconut and pandan. And then we use a little bit of overproof gin in there. So you're using the Sipsmith VGOP, which the VGOP stands for very juniper overproof. So you're getting really nice, bright citrusy and overproof juniper notes in there. And the sweetness, the sweetness is cut by that little bit of overproofness of the gin, but also that that heavy notes, the juniper and the citrus help with that as well. The nuttiness is, you can really, like, I mean, I love Negronis, but the nuttiness is, like, very unique on yeah. this one, for sure. The pandan definitely is, is it's turned into, again, it's turned into one of the, these cocktails that everyone makes almost all around the world. We publish this recipe on Punch, the website, and people recreate this drink almost everywhere. I, I, people send me videos of them making it and Instagram of them ta tagging it, making it at home and stuff. I also like the touch of the uh, the bobby pin. Is, this, is that what that is? Bobby yeah. pin with the, with the, what kind of leaf is this? So this is the pandan leaf. The pandan leaf, okay. So it's usually, the pandan leaf is maybe about... 24 inches long, okay. really long, long leaf. So we, we cut it down and, and garnish it. But super neat, super neat drink. Kevin blew us away with these three offerings. Each one was so unique, you could really feel the creativity shining through each glass. Now for Kevin's last call story, a fun, unique story from his time working as a bartender, manager, and owner. Given his experience coming up in D.C., we wondered if we were going to hear something about his run-ins with notable politicians, but Kevin opted for a story from PCH instead. I think one of the most recent stories that I thoroughly enjoy that I like to talk about to a lot of people is uh, our bar manager, Francis, 
at PCH. One of the nicest guys in the world. One of the hardest work. He definitely, if you think I work hard, Francis works, makes me look lazy, uh, which is which is hard to do. He has this knack of just, he's so attentive behind the bar and sees the whole picture and everything. And one night I had just gotten out, done with my shift, but the bar was still open. And I'm sitting at the end of the bar and Francis is there and some other bartenders and this girl and one of the seats in the bar, obviously drunk, like really drunk, kind of like tipsy and like we're all kind of watching her and I'm like watching her and I'm like, I told Reese, I was like, give her some more water. And we're like giving her water and she's drinking the water. And then Francis like nonchalantly like walks out from behind the bar. I don't see this, but he's also carrying the, the little red bucket that we have behind the bar that we use for cleaning. And he like goes casually next to the girl who's sitting next to a couple of regulars. And he's, ta- he's talking to the regulars, like nothing's going on. Just like blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, he like shoves the red bucket in front of the girl's face just as the girl starts throwing up. Like literally perfect timing. Like I actually cut the video out on the security camera and saved it because it was such the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my in my life. And the girl's just like throwing up in the bucket, throwing it in the bucket and then stops and Francis takes the bucket and leaves and, and walks away. And like, we're all just like, like the rest of the staff and me and like so the, the patrons at the bar were like, what just happened? That was like the fucking like Jedi. The, the like, puke whisper. Yeah. And I was like, that was absolutely amazing. And I was like, Francis, what? It was like, he was, and I was like, that's amazing that you, you, you did that. And he was like, well, I just didn't want to clean up puke. So that's why I was carrying the red bucket around, around with me. But it's like, I'll see if I can find it on my laptop. But it's one of the, it's, I love that story because it just, it's a testament to what Fran, like the detail that Francis is and how attentive he is at service, but also just like how forward thinking it was. Cause I was like, oh, that was amazing. And he was just like, I just didn't want to clean up the puke, to be honest. I can only imagine when you having like the CCTV of like all the things that you guys have, have recaptured over, over the years. That's, that's incredible. It's been fun. The, I think some of my highlights were like Miracle when before I thought Miracle was going to be a thing. And before we start holding the door, like I have a couple shots of the Miracle, the bar being like so insanely packed. Well, Kevin, I want to say thank you for your time and telling your stories. You've gone through a lot in the past 15 months or so. For the audience and the listeners, like where can people find out more about when PCH is going to open back up, the new location, when you decide to announce that, and also what you guys are doing here at, uh, at Konos? Yeah. So, I mean, for PCH, just follow the Instagram. PCH580 is our Instagram. My Instagram is the real Diedrich. I typically post a lot of the comings and goings for, for PCH and stuff going on there. I'm not a good person at <laughs> posting stuff on like Google or anything or Yelp. I'm really bad at Yelp. So just hold tight on to, to Instagram stuff. I'm, I'm fairly okay with that. We'll definitely have some announcements coming out in the next, the next month of what our next steps are. So to hold that, and if you guys want to support, I always tell people we've gotten overwhelming amount of support. The, the most support you could do for us is just to show up at the bar, support the team, support the business when it does reopen. In terms of Ocona, we're, we're open six days a week here, three to 11, Monday through Thursday. And on the weekends, we go the long haul. And definitely come out come out and, uh, and check out Kona's. The team here has, has done some awesome things. Uh, my, my business partner, Brian's put together an amazing menu over here. And the team just crushes it day in and day out out here. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin, so much, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Of course, it. man. Thanks for having me. And that does it for our episode on PCH. A huge thank you to Kevin and Kona for sitting down with us and bringing us into his world. 
We absolutely cannot wait for the return of PCH later this year. We wish him the best of luck and the team with their reopening. In the meantime, if you don't want to wait to try some of their cocktails, we highly recommend going to Kona Street Market. It's a beautiful, vibrant new space and the perfect spot to drink in the financial district. Thanks again for tuning in. Next time, we head back over to Debose Triangle to pay a visit to Blackbird. The Muddler is a Studio Pod Media original podcast. I'm your host, TJ Bonaventura. Our writer is Joey Mezzatesta. Editing and music provided by Notalap. For more information, make sure you subscribe and rate us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to themuddlerpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at themuddlerpodcast.com.